Something's wrong. She's been cursed. Christina will help Dave. For me. You can't trust her. Every step to my ascension has been meticulously planned out. Can you remove it? On one condition. Promise me you won't hurt my sister. There's no making this right. I have no idea what you're walking into. Welcome back to Lovecraft Aftermath. This is the Carefree Black Nerd Review over HBO's Lovecraft Country. I am your host, Rain Coleman, and today we're covering Season 1, Episode 9, Rewind 1921. Right, with Hippolyta at the helm, Letty, Tick, and Montrose travel through time to 1921, Tulsa, in an effort to save D. Alright y'all, when you're listening to this episode, please use that hashtag LovecraftAftermath. When you're live tweeting with us on Sunday nights, use that hashtag as well. When you're watching your rewatches, any way you consume your Lovecraft media, or if you got some tips, tricks, hidden gems, or some historical stuff that maybe we didn't know about, or you want to bring to light, or some fan theories or whatever, use that hashtag LovecraftAftermath. And actually, Peruse that hashtag, especially over there on Twitter, and see if you don't come up with some stuff maybe you didn't know about before. Alrighty, so getting right into the episode, um, I'm letting y'all know right now, this is going to be more of an emotional um, feeling episode than like a beat-by-beat run-through. Uh, I have been drinking, and this episode hit me deep. Um, a few things I want to go over. We open up the episode with Letty, Tick, and Montrose arguing over a now-infected D. Diana has, from the last episode, got stabbed by the Topsy and Bopsy demons. And again, it goes without saying, but that lends itself to the ways in which black girls are not taken care of. Ruby, sitting on the couch in her fine linens, lets everybody know... Y'all pointing the blame and the finger at each other. Y'all all fucked up. You all did wrong. Like, you were supposed to take care of this girl, and yet here we are. Ruby could have said, when I was babysitting her ass, when he had these fucking problems. Now that y'all looking after her, and I'm off for, for a night doing what the fuck I want to do. Now she's possessed by a demon. So D is laid up in the bed. Her hair is, like, forming to be like the Jigaboos from uh, before. And her skin is rotting. Like, she just looks terrible. Um, and Ruby, regardless of how I feel about her, is really the only one who has a way to address the issue. Tick is like, look, I'm going to go get the, the pages of the book of names to Christina, and then she'll reverse this. Lady's like, nah, fam, we can't do that. I already used them pages, whatever. Montrose is getting in her ass because she's like, oh, yeah, she didn't, you know, you didn't got the protection spell on you by Christina. You know, she taking care of you. But what the fuck about the rest of us? And so Christina comes over after Ruby's like, oh, Christina take the curse off D for me because my name Rochelle and my man got a job. Every time I see Ruby on screen, that is the first thing I think about. Like her and Christina 
Though I don't 100% understand it and don't 100% really even care for it, there is somewhere in this world where there is a relationship like this. And quiet as it's kept, it seems as if Ruby is the only one that's halfway well adjusted with this magic shit. Like, yeah, she becomes a white woman whenever she drinks this potion and she's fucking with a white woman who could become a white man whenever she drinks a potion. But that polyamorous relationship has been working well for all four of them motherfuckers involved. You look at everybody else and the shit they got going on, they are falling apart at the seams. Ruby then came up, she then got her dream job, she live on the nice white part of town, you know, that's what she want. Um, she becomes a white woman whenever she wants to. She has the finest of linens and a non-stop influx of cash. She is with her boo, William, and she's also, I guess, now with her, I guess, kind of, sort of boo, or maybe full-blown boo, Christina. Like, Ruby, honestly, is probably doing better than half of everybody in this motherfucking show. Um, so, I've been playing with the idea early on. I think episode two, that Montrose is not Atticus's father. I think the way this show addressed this was later on in the episode where Atticus let's tells him, look, if you about to do this shit that you trying to do, you have to be for damn sure that I'm not yours. Because if I am and you do this shit and you change shit, I might not exist. Your grandson might not exist. So with Ruby and Christina, I actually, I'm okay with them. To me, they have a better functioning relationship than Atticus and Letty. These motherfuckers is going through hell and back every fucking episode. Um, so Christina's like, look, D is going to die. This thing is going to take its toll on her, but I can reverse it to a certain point, kind of restart it so that this isn't happening so quickly. <sighs> they downstairs arguing and shit, they being Atticus and his daddy, and Letty come down. It's pretty much... Montrose was like, look, you might be George's. And that, I was waiting for that and for the anger and stress that Atticus has and the other shit that he's been through. I really expected for him to whoop his daddy's ass. We've seen it before. He put the beat down on him before. But he did not. Um, Letty came down just in time. And Mother Hippolyta, Orinthia Blue, walks through the fucking door. Because they're talking about D. Kirsch. Say, what the fuck is wrong with D.? She comes in, she go see her daughter, she looks disgusting, maggots coming out of her arm and shit. Another thing, Hippolyta should have whooped everybody's ass in that house. Yes, I was off in space gallivanting, doing whatever the fuck I wanted to, but to y'all's knowledge, I was off on a guide trip. How in the motherfuck do I leave on a guide trip and I come back a week later and my daughter is about to die? She's in the bed decaying. My, I'll say she's maybe 12. My 12-year-old daughter, mm, I'll say between 11 and 12. And she's dead now because of you niggas. I left you motherfuckers in charge. And yet, now, I damn near don't have a daughter. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a widow and I'm about to be, well, childless. So, Ruby and Christina go downstairs. Christina's like, look, I can, you know, do what the fuck I need to do. Blah, blah, whatever. Let's go. And everybody... Letty's on her head like look man you can't trust her and honestly looking through Ruby's point of view like though everybody was keeping the magic a secret from each other uh, I think Ruby probably is in the most innocent position because all she did was become a white woman to get a job 
these motherfuckers is running around doing a bunch of shit and ain't told her one thing. Yeah, you want to protect her or whatever. But, I mean, what the fuck is the point when you've done all this shit? And let's say one of you motherfuckers would have died in that cavern in, what was that, Philadelphia or something. She would have just thought you were gone. Like, yeah. I don't know. So, uh, lady's like, man, you can't do that. You know, fuck, you can't trust us. She's like, hey, chick, look, this my man. My man got a job. I'm Rochelle. <laughs> so, her father to walk downstairs. Like, she is a motherfucking Avenger. What the fuck is wrong with D? D finna die. We finna do this, 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 and that. It's gonna take us about four hours to get to the observatory. Once we get there, it'll take me an hour to fix this bitch. Uh, we need a motherboard so we can go get these pages from the past and this and that. We're gonna jump through time. Montrose and everybody's like, man, what the fuck you doing? Shut up. Look, I'm doing this shit for my daughter. We're doing X, Y, and Z. Boom. I like that she came in confident, powerful, clearly... It's apparent that she is very confident in her abilities and has had that time from the time she was on 504, or 504 boys, huh? What? She she has become, she's no longer shrinking. She came in with a concern, put emotions on the back burner, and did what the fuck she needed to do. And I like that, like, because we don't know how long she's been gone. Like, we know in this timeline it's been a week, but we don't know if she's lived several weeks, you know, several months, years, decades, millennia, and she's back to this point in time for her daughter, which makes me question, if you were going to, if you were able to jump through time and do all this shit, why didn't you jump back to the very moment that you left? I guess unless you wanted to keep up appearances and make it seem as if you were actually on a guide trip I guess it would make sense to come back a week later but I don't know I don't know I'm still kind of I'm still that's still in the back of my head uh so let's wrap up this Christina Ruby shit so Ruby and Christina go back to the house she talked about how Dale and William are dead how the blood shit works uh and Ruby's like oh you finna fucking kill Atticus that's why he got to come back to, to willingly to Artem. You doing this and that. And they get into it. And it's like, shit. I'm not even a Christina fan. But can these mother... Can somebody on this show find happiness? Anybody. Like, joy and happiness. With a loving relationship. Without all the shit attached to it. Um, Christina... But... Like, what is the point? I I don't know. I don't know. I guess when you have so much power and privilege, you just want more. Um, they're pretty much, like, breaking up, hell. So another thing that they did in the show that I really enjoy is that there are those separate timelines. And my interpretation tells us that the Matt Ruff book is the first main primary timeline. Uh, the big issue with Dale and the show when Ruby transformed into her was that she's not a beautiful white woman. She's a very average, underwhelming looking white woman. In the book, she was a beautiful, redhead, slim, conventionally attractive white woman. And so Ruby makes the comment after getting done kind of talking, slow key arguing with Christina. I think she kills Dale, like she lets the oxygen out or something. And she's like, you know. When I used to picture myself as a white woman, I always saw myself as a redhead, which 
it was just a nice line as a nod to the first uh to the book but then i was like why would you think of yourself as a white person so i wonder if people of that time in the 50s if that was common like if you're you know getting your ass beat all the goddamn time with fire hoses and shit and uh, extreme racism at the time like damn i just wish i was white but nowadays we're dealing with some of the same shit and i've never once wished that i was white so i don't know i'm thinking i'm hoping that that was just the comment being made to allude to the book as in like a nod to the book uh either way it was it happened so when we get to Kentucky at the observatory, everybody's getting ready. They're doing what they need to do, setting up D and shit. And so Letty and Atticus are still not telling each other that they both know that she is pregnant. Atticus is like, Atticus, Montrose like, look, motherfucker, you selfish as shit. And she's like, hey, nigga, I did what the fuck I need to do. And he's like, man, look, you pregnant. She's like, oh, how did you know? Did Ruby tell you? No, motherfucker. My son went to the future, came back with a book written by y'all's kid. We know you pregnant. You having a boy. And that's such a... I really like that the show went this route with the time travel and the multiverse thing. Because it could have been very easy to go beat by beat by what's in the book. It still would have had a good show. But opening it up in the way that they've done allows you to stay true to the source material. But yet make your own fucking stories. And they have done that tenfold. Um, Hippolyta hooks herself up to this machine. She is the motherboard. She opens up a rift in time. She calculates where exactly they need to be in Tulsa 1921. And I don't, she just is 16 trillion multiverse universes or multiverses. And it's like, this is done well. Now, there are people who are, uh, I'm seeing critiques online about, I don't know what the fuck going on with this show, and this, that, and third, and whatever. Okay, cool. Everything here for everybody. But you get to a point where, because I've been in this nerd shit my entire life, you know what? No, I'm not even going to say that. I was going to say, because I've been a nerd my whole life, this shit is nothing. But even if you haven't been, there's been so many TV shows, movies, and things that aren't even directly tied to nerd stuff, per se, that people have consumed that that you should understand what the fuck is going on like if you can understand a dream sequence if you can understand um uh, one of your your favorite shows doing a um like a gender bent episode where they change some shit around where like now pam is married to martin and gina is with cole like that didn't happen but if you've consumed media over the years that was more than just maybe sports or just home improvement shows or just food shows this shouldn't be that hard to understand. Now, the specifics, sure. But the fact that I mentioned that there is a multiverse. Before this episode, when I spoke, when I um, was tweeted with Misha Green, I said, hey, there's three timelines. There's the Matt Ruff timeline, the Prime, the regular one, the book. There's the second timeline, that's the TV show. And there's the third timeline that is the book within the TV show that's based off of real events from whichever timeline that book exists in, which makes three timelines. And then whatever the fuck Hippolyta is doing, because she can jump, she just confirmed there's like 60 million, trillion, whatever. That should be easily understandable. Now, you might not get the basics, but even if you don't get the basics, if I explain to you there's three timelines, that shouldn't be foreign. You should be able to be like, okay, 
I might not understand how there's three timelines, but if you're saying there's three, then I'm going to go with that. Because there's been so much shit going on in media. This I don't know. I just find it strange that this is still a thing, still an issue. So these motherfuckers jump back to 1921. Now, another thing with this show that I enjoyed that kind of took me out of it is that they did time travel. And I'm so used to contemporary shows in the 2000s or even the 90s going back in time to like the 50s and 40s and 60s and 20s and seeing the aesthetic change. Well, I'm not in the 50s. I'm not well-versed in 50s uh, fashion. So when Montrose Atticus and Letty went back to 1921 from 1955, they were like, oh, we got to change our clothes. And to me, it's just like, oh, it's just all old clothes. And it's not that I don't see the difference or that there is it's insignificant, but I was just very much like, shit, I would be able to better grasp this if they were in 2019 and went back to 1955 or 1921. Um, I really like Montrose speaking the names of people who died in the Tulsa riots. This episode was very heavy for a number of reasons. Uh, the acting is stellar. The music is great. The wardrobe, phenomenal. Everybody looked damn good. Um... Even the white racist people, though they're pretty much faceless, nameless, guy number one, whatever. The Because the show was so well done, I even enjoyed their performance. Now, of course, I didn't like the racism. I'm not saying that. But I enjoyed being brought into this time and... Not feeling like I'm watching the show, which is weird to say, because I know I'm watching the show. I don't think this is really happening right now, but they did a good job from start to finish with the drama and with the storytelling. Like Montrose has been a son of a bitch this entire fucking show. And we get these moments of him reverting back to being a child even as an adult like when he's hesitant about jumping through the portal and then when he gets there he's like living through reliving what happened he tells uh, Montrose and Lady like you don't know what this is specifically uh, um, Atticus like bro you don't know what war is like he's drunk most of the time and I'm not giving Montrose a pass what he did with Yahima it was unforgivable but I'm gonna chalk that up to the show to Misha Green and how the show handled it, which she's addressed that. She said that was a misstep. It's something that she, you know, regrets. So that aside, not that it's my place to forgive because I'm not trans. I'm not, you know, a two two spirited person. I'm just I'm me. I'm I'm cis. You know, I'm not I'm not trans. So it being part of a queer community, I get that, and I understand what where she dropped the ball. But as far as the specifics, it's not up to me to forgive that woman. But I, I would imagine with her explanation and not running from the misstep that folks are a little bit more understanding. All that being said, Montrose has done a lot of shit and he's held a lot of secrets in. But I really like that this episode gives us 
it's I don't feel like they were like let's make him the worst person in the world and then at the let the penultimate episode let's redeem him. I don't think that's it. I think they just told a story of something of a man of a life that he led. And when we get his backstory, a lot of his treatment of Atticus and the way he acts makes so much sense. Now I'm gonna be like real and raw with y'all for a second here. When Letty Montrose and Atticus goes to Montrose's childhood home. They go to like, I kind of think like a barn garage across the street. This is a, a, a um, neighborhood. <clears throat> and we see Will Cutlet from uh, Lala from uh, Black Lightning and Will from that guy on Black and Sexy TV. He tells young Montrose, who's like, I don't know, I'll put this boy at they said prom, so I would say either like 10th grade, because I think George is older. So I would say he's probably 10th grade. Let's say let's say 15. And he tells him to get a switch. He's like, nah, you know, he's hesitating. So Daddy uh, Freeman pulls the switch off the tree and beats the fuck out of Montrose. Because Montrose, he's saying like, I put on George's corsage. And that's like, oh, you want to put roses and flowers in your hair and shit. And so we we know through the episodes before that this man, father, was not for that gay shit. He was very much homophobic. He was very much, I'm going to beat this shit out of you. So we'll get that. But it's one thing to hear characters discuss it. And it's a whole nother thing to watch it play out. So I'm already raw watching this scene. Every actor is doing their job. Then a woman, Della, Dora, excuse me, um, Atticus's mom is a neighbor. She walks outside and she kind of runs outside. She runs up to uh, Daddy Freeman, who's whooping ass. And she's like, man, you fucking killing him. And he's acting like he wanted to beat her. Ass. He didn't raise his hand to her, but he was talking shit like, you know, you can get it too. Her daddy stepped out and was like, oh, no, you do what the fuck you want with your kids. But with my daughter... But this is the thing, and I'm not even going. When Der <clears throat> when Atticus's mom comes out the house, Jonathan Majors does this thing, and it is literally like a second where we've seen him as this kind of quiet force. Um. I don't think there's been a moment that we've seen him on screen where we haven't felt that he was capable. Now, there's like he have to figure out riddles and mysteries and shit, sure. But I've never once felt like he was unable to take care of the task at hand. And that's not a negative. That's a good thing. There's a point in which Atticus, over the barn door, sees his mother and he says, Mama, the way I can't even... I can't, I can't even, hmm. So let me back this up. I, I lost my mother a few years ago. And I've been pretty okay. You know, I've, you know, everybody, you have your moments when you lose a loved one. A parent specifically. But Jonathan Major's performance in this scene alone, coupled with all of the bullshit that Montrose was reliving, like physically watching. I'm not even gonna hold you up. I was in tears. 
Um, there are I, I get I get in ways where I do miss my mother terribly, and it could be when I'm at work. It could be when I'm driving to the grocery store. I could be getting gas. I could be taking a shower. I could be laying out clothes for the next week, and it just because you never know when. But this moment in particular, and I don't know. I didn't look up if Jonathan has lost his mother. I don't know if he's just a good actor. I don't know if it's me projecting onto this scene. Um, because, you know, I'm a nerd through and through. There's been several times, even prior to my mother passing, where I thought, what would happen if I went back in time and saw my aunts and uncles and this and that? Like, that's this is not a new thought for me. But this scene tore me down. Um... I was tweeting through it, but I was very sad. And it's not even the story. I mean, it's the story in the show. But I think this show did a good job at pulling some emotion. Maybe it was intentional on their end. I don't know. But when I watch him say, Mama, again, he's, it's a second. It's literally a second. If you turn your head... During that scene, you could miss it, but it, that was the loudest part of this episode for me. Like, the absolute loudest. I, to the day I die, I will never forget that, those few seconds before, that second it happened, and those few seconds after, I will never, I will never forget that. I, I, I won't. I, um, yeah, this, this did it for me. Like, criticisms and critiques aside, what everybody have to say, this was it. This was it. I um, I appreciate the show. I appreciate Misha Green and everybody working on it. This, this really did it for me. And it could be me projecting. It could be me being extremely emotional, even after my fourth and fifth viewing. But you already hit me with Montrose's backstory. Then you hit me with this child who gets to see his mother again and then we move on to Montrose disappearing and so Atticus is like oh he's going to warn George that George is going to die at Artem he can't change time you know and so him and Letty split up and she's running pregnant in her case with and her converses rather and she goes and gets attacked by a, a white mob ends up in Dora's house with all of Atticus's ancestors, his his aunt, his grandmother, his great grandmother, and his grandfather, and they bring her in and you know pull out the shotgun and they're all they're whatever. Uh, she's pretty much she's looking for the book of names because she needs it in order to save Dean and. Atticus is honest, like, hey, you know, I told uh, my sister, you know, I said some really nasty things to her because I wanted to go to prom with George, but, you know, that's all right, you know, because she's going to come back, right? I'm going to be able to tell her that, you know, I'm I'm sorry and we can make up. And Letty's like thinking, oh, I know this motherfucker's going to die, but she got to, you know, play alone. So I'm okay at this point. And then we move on <clears throat> to where Atticus catches up with his father. Montrose is at the end of an alley. He's watching this monument, I say in Town Square or something, I don't know. And Atticus is like, you can't, you can't warn George. He's like, man, I'm not here for George. I'm here for him. 
Montrose has a friend named Thomas. And we just saw Montrose get his ass whooped for being gay. Or for showing any queer gay tendencies. Montrose and Atticus have this very intense conversation. And a friend of mine was like, oh, fuck, Montrose, he's selfish. How the fuck he gonna do this, that, and the third? And I was like, man, taking the Yahima stuff off the table, Montrose has done a lot of toxic shit, a lot of secretive shit. And there's no excuse for it. And I'm not excusing it away, but when you see his father, when you're not, it goes past hearing stories. When it goes to, the, we're, we're watching with our own two eyes the shit that he put up with which explains a lot of his behavior towards his son and himself actually but when you get to see him as a child telling his friend we can't be friends no more we can't be friends no more because you are a faggot and I'm not when you see this shit that his father has beat into him and you get to see adult mantras talk about how he has had to cut out all of these soft parts of himself to be a man to have son have a son because a real man has it's just like I would imagine the audience that listens to my programming I don't have to convince you of a lot I would imagine that we have a, some of the same if not close to all or, or a lot of the same viewpoints I'll say so I hope this isn't falling on deaf ears but watching these scenes and seeing like it just made me realize that Montrose the shit he's dealing with though this is a fictional show is the same shit that people deal with today but even more I don't know, painfully, to be lack of a better term, men and women, but I'm speaking specifically about black queer men, back in the 50s, back in the 20s and 30s, having these same feelings that we have now today and having to suppress in a way that the violence and the non-understanding was so... I don't know. I don't know. Like this episode really So there are men and women now who just, you know, choose not to be out of the closet, choose to be private and be, you know, to themselves, which that's your prerogative. There are people who are quote unquote DL. There are people who have a lot to lose with careers, which depending on where you live in this country, in this world, um, you could be shot dead. So I'm not saying that the threat and the emotional part isn't there these days, but can you imagine being a, a man in the 50s, having this attraction, having this thing that you know is so natural to you, but if you let it slip up just a little bit, the world can beat your ass down and even kill you in a way that your own father wanted to. There's no social media. There's no help groups. There's no... All there is is burying that shit deep within you and making it work, making it through the next day. So, I don't know. This 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 show, this episode really did a lot. Did a lot. It did a lot. 
Um, ultimately, Montrose doesn't go and warn Thomas because even warning Thomas, Atticus told him like, if I'm if I'm you need to be sure that I'm not yours. Because if I'm not yours and you warn Thomas and y'all continue your friendship, he didn't say this in so many words, but y'all continue your friendship and you end up loving him or you find somebody else and you don't get with my mama, I won't exist. Your grandson won't exist. So before you go back changing shit, you need to be certain that this is what it is. And I don't think Montrose knows for sure. We might not ever get the true... um, uh, parentage of of Atticus. We might not ever know for certain. Um, but Montrose was explaining what happened that night. And you guys correct me if I'm wrong. Use the hashtag Lovecraft Aftermath. But he, Montrose mentioned that there was a mysterious stranger that helped him that night. I don't think I recall in any episode before this one anyone in the cast mentioning that a stranger came through and helped them that night in Tulsa. Now, I could be wrong. It could have been said, and I'm just not remembering. If so, let me know. And, I'm, of course, I'm going to watch the whole series over from start to finish. But I don't remember Montrose or George saying, you know, this stranger came and helped us that night. But the stranger with the baseball bat was Atticus. And I like that a lot of people didn't. But at this point, I'm I'm fine with it because now it's like this kind of self-fulfilling prophecy that no matter what, Atticus was going to go back in time and protect and save his family. Um, yeah. And especially if we're going off of this has happened before, him knowing at this point, my father is gay. I might not be his, but I'm probably his. All the anger and shit he's had from growing up with this man who beat his ass, but still being able to go back in time and save this man. To be that force that your father couldn't be. Like, your father is really badass, strong motherfucker when he whooping your ass and taking his anger out. But you go back in time and you are the big, mysterious, strong stranger. Like, I I really, I really like that. I really like that. Because, like, can you imagine... Being able to go back and even if you had the perfect childhood, forget if you got beat by your parents. I don't care about that. Like if you had the greatest childhood, but being able to go back in time and see one or both of your parents and help them, even if it's not beating up some racists who tried to kill them, if it's just, you know, giving them a pencil, you know, helping them pay for some gas, uh, buying them a soda, like I. If I got the chance to go back in time and see my mom, be it three years ago, 30 years ago, be it when she was 16 years old, like, this is a really good episode, it really was, um, Whatever critiques this show gets, I'm fine with it. Every fandom has its issues. Every show, every piece of art has its critiques. Hell, that's what I'm doing now is just going over this show and offering my opinion. So I'm not, I could care less. You know, folks, it's always, you know, it's, it's that, um, there's plot holes. Okay, there's plot holes, whatever. Um, you know, why they're using Emmett Till. Okay, well, some people liked that they did, some people didn't. 
uh, it's like black trauma porn. Okay. It might very well be to some people, but I really enjoy this show and this episode here. If I could only watch one episode for the rest of my life of this show, it would probably be this one. Um, Atticus picks up a baseball bat. He takes his ass across the street where his father, his uncle, and his mama is getting their ass beat. And he goes the fuck in. And I like this scene, not just because it's, oh, the good guy beats the white racist. No, it's not just that. All the shit that Atticus has been throughout the entire season. Yeah, he fought his daddy. And there's been some instances here and there. But it's like he he was to a point where he could get out all of that fucking frustration. Like, he beat these folks ass. Like, there was even a white woman in there who he, like, hit her with the bat and hit her in the stomach. She hunched over, he hit her in the back. And again, it's not even necessarily that he's being, like, whooping their ass. But it's like, what is he's able to do for his family while at the same time releasing some of his own anger? Um... Letty's story is she's upstairs looking for the book of names. Hattie sees her. She pulls out a gun. She's like, hey, who the fuck are you? Your shoes. Your shoes ain't like ours. I knew you was, you you ain't right. And Letty explains to her, you know, like, look, I'm carrying your great, great, great grandson. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, great, great grandson. I'm carrying your great, great grandson. And, you know, I need to find this book. And if we don't get back in time, you know, he'll never be born. And I love him and this and that. And it was a good touching scene. I don't mean to run through it like it was nothing. Because it really was an important scene. Um, and Letty lets, lets Homegirl know, like, hey, you you guys are going to die tonight. Well, no, the, the uh, great-grandmother actually is like, okay, we're not going to make it out. Like, you're looking for the book of names, which means that you don't have it in your timeline in the future. So, what's, what's up? And she's like, look, y'all, y'all die here tonight. And Letty is in a house that's burning. Everybody's burned to death. She, of course, is protected, so she's all right. Which makes me be like, why did you even run from them white men with the guns to begin with? But, you know, I get it. And so they're depicting the Tulsa riots in a way that I asked on Twitter because I haven't seen it yet. But is this the way that Watchmen portrayed the Tulsa riots? So if it is or if it ain't, let me know. Hashtag Lovecraft Aftermath. Um, Atticus and Montrose run back to the portal. And Atticus, I'm sorry, Montrose has been through hell and back. He's, he's like in this catatonic stupor like off and on throughout the entire time that we're in the past. And Atticus jumps through the portal and he sees Hippolyta connected to the machine. And she's like foaming at the mouth. She's like, I can't hold it much longer. And then this music plays. And Montrose turns around and he views the burning city of Tulsa behind him or in front of him at this point. Airplanes going around. There's a fire. Everything's on fire. This man has tears in his eyes. Black people running like crazy. White folks attacking them, shooting them. Molotov cocktails chasing them down. It's like on top of the homophobia shit, on top of the the trauma, 
you got these white folks. <sighs> Still, it burned down Brian's tailor shop. Dr. Jackson. Best Negro surgeon in all of America. Miss Rogers lost her infinite daughter. Like, how do you? I don't know, man. This was just. I don't know. I'm not articulate at all, especially this episode. I'm just. Mm, this was a lot. This was a lot for me personally. Like, this was a lot. And to watch Montrose like relive that trauma. That's like that. This, you have the trauma of Tulsa happening to begin with. Like in real life. And then let's say that this is the actual truth. Like this show is things that actually happen. You have Montrose having lived through it, having lived through that homophobia and that abuse at the hands of the person who's supposed to protect him. You got him growing up carrying that evilness within him, burying himself, getting to his big grown age and then having to go back in time and relive this shit again. It's a lot. It's a lot. And then you add this fucking racist element to Like, what? Just leave us the fuck alone. God. So, um, okay. Uh, Letty. She has the book of names. She's walking back to the portal while she's doing that. Atticus is cheering on on Hippolyta. He's like, look, you got it. You got to do it for D. You got to, you got to get your shit together. Just do it. And she's like floating, floating in the air. She's, she's like physically in pain. You can see it, but she's floating. They're dropping bombs everywhere. One thing I like about this show is that at some point it got, it got to the point where so much shit has happened. There's nothing that you can do or say that's going to surprise these damn people. Ruby's relationship with Christina is surprising because they're like, oh, it's Christina, she's evil. But the queer element of it, like Ruby being with that woman and white woman, I feel like that doesn't matter. Seeing Hippolyta float above six feet, at least eight feet above ground and her hair turn blue while she's keeping a gateway to another timeline open, like that's nothing. Like even D being infected by that, um, by those demons that part is shocking because like, damn, we fucked up. We dropped the ball. But the actual thing that's happening to her, it's like nobody's freaking out about that in a way that, oh, what the fuck is demons? What is ghosts? This is new. Like this show at this point, it's like maybe by episode three, it was like, you know what? Shit is going on. So, oh, Hippolyta can uh, time travel now. That's cool. Um, So we end with uh, Letty. Taking her sweet ass time walking back to the portal. Like she was walking. Like this motherfucker was just sightseeing. There was no urgency. And I get it for dramatic effect. They were dropping bombs on her and that wasn't affecting her. I get all that. 
But like, sis, we met you and you was running. Like episode two, she took off like it was nothing. She ran a, a good four times that episode. So, I mean, I get it. I get, I, I get, I get looking at it. Um, that's the episode, y'all. I, I really don't know. I don't know. I just don't know. I don't know. I watched it a few times and I'm still like emotional behind it. I'm not, you know, leaking tears through my eyes, but I'm, it's, it's, it struck a chord with me. That's all I'll say with that. Um, let me know what you thought about the episode. Even if you didn't like it, like, that's fine. I'd like to know, you know, what is it that you didn't like about it? If you loved it, well, you know, what did you love about it? So use that hashtag Lovecraft Aftermath, please. And, uh, let me know. So getting down to favorites, um, everybody was stellar this episode, like stellar, but I'm going to have to go with Montrose for this episode as my favorite. This character has been through a lot, has put people through a lot. And I think us getting to see him firsthand as a child, dealing with some of the same shit he put Atticus through, made a lot of sense, made his actions make a lot of sense. Him having this tragic love story where we don't even know I think we can assume that Thomas was like a romantic friend, but I don't think they ever explicitly said Thomas and Montrose were in a relationship because they're kids. You know, they, you can like, kids do have boyfriend, girlfriends and all that, but I think it was more like, I, I, I want to say that it was a romantic thing, but they're also young where it's like, maybe this is my friend I'm just hanging out with. I don't know. I don't think that was specified, but either way, the fact that he had to, be so rude. I can't hang out with them with you no more. You're a faggot, and I'm not. It's like, I whatever. I'm, I'm Montrose is my favorite this episode. If you don't like him, that's cool. But he was my favorite. Like I, yeah, Montrose. Um, honestly, I loved everybody. I'll say if there was like a close second, it would probably have to be Atticus. Now, Atticus could have took that top spot just from that scene I mentioned earlier. But, like, overall, if I'm looking at everything that's going on, Atticus' story, though I think, I don't know. It's I, there's really no separating. It's all, it all got me fucked up. It all got me fucked up. So, I'd say Atticus is, is I don't know, close second. Uh, favorite scene. I'll say it again. That one second of Atticus seeing his mama. And like becoming a fucking little boy, like that right there. That's it. That that give me that one. What is that? Man, it maybe was like three seconds overall. Give me them three seconds on the loop. Like, I mean, not seriously, but that was that was the that was the that was the thing that took me down. So Atticus seeing his mama as a child, as a teenager. That that's it. Okay, so. Um, I don't know how this episode is going to sound. Uh, let me know what you thought. I'm going to end it there. We got the last final episode. I want to do something live. I think I am, but I don't know if it'll be like during the episode. The more I thought about it, this isn't a show that has commercials. So commentary during would be kind of hard because the show would be on. Um, 
but there's going to be some type of streaming live episode review or something. It's going to be something. Um, yeah, get a couple folks and we're going to talk about it. So if you enjoyed the episode, you know, let me know. Hit me up on Twitter, Carefree Blurred. That's my handle on Twitter, Carefree Black Nerd everywhere else. Uh, that link will be in the show notes, of course. Um, check out the other episodes in this series, Lovecraft Aftermath. Check the hashtag out on Twitter and put your thoughts in, put in your two cents. And we do have that live tweet for this final episode. So let join us. Join us Sunday night. Sunday night with that hashtag in tow. And see us get down. Shout out to Jupiter Judah 24, JJ, April Danielle, Lucy is the deuce, then Marcus. Uh check out fucking Cole Jackson and Cole Jackson 1 2. Um Motherfucking Talisa, my homegirl, is uh, T. Lisa. Uh, I believe that's it. She was on episode last one, and I want to say episode four. Um, really shout out to everybody. Everybody that's been on the show. Uh, I said Davis came in in episode two, came out swanging. Uh, get to the hashtag, check these folks out. Um, so yeah, thank you all for listening. Email me carefreeblacknerd at gmail.com. All social media, Carefree Black Nerd, Twitter, Carefree Blurred, Linktree, forward slash Carefree Black Nerd. And um, until next time, stay carefree, stay nerdy, stay geeky, and stay true to yourself. You a nerd, get into your nerd shit. You know, you queer, be fucking queer. You pregnant and you want to keep that baby, you keep that baby. You know, if you a time traveler, you go back in time. <laughs> uh, but yeah, thank you all. All right. Baby, I didn't want nothing. I just uh, had to talk to you today. Call me when you get a chance.